This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Chris Moses from HR Sanity. Hey, Chris, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing, Michael? I am great. When I say the name HR Sanity, for some reason, my mouth wants to put an N before Sanity. Um, and that's just because of my own personal experience working in and with our, our friends and human resources. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the organization and, and how you get rid of the N so it's just Sanity. It's uh HR Sandy was was a, a a brainchild of a couple of friends and myself that they came up on what what an HR needs to happen to make HR be valuable to the organization, and when we looked at the things that weren't working, they were just the insane things that people just held on to, the the part where HR doesn't understand where they add value, or where where HR you know HR always says you know, you should treat people the correct way, but then HR doesn't follow their own methods and that they, they do the backstabbing or they, they endorse bad behaviors or uh, like, for example, if somebody's doing something and HR turns their back, well, you're endorsing it. You're saying that's okay because you didn't say anything. So they say, they'll do it again. And that's, that's on the culture side, but then on the, on the, on the business side, insane HR doesn't look at data. doesn't look at processes. doesn't look at how their decisions are impacting the bottom line. That's that's really where HR Sandy came from. Is really looking at those processes, decisions, the data, and how all this links together. So HR is really a strategic partner, and you know where you're what you're getting for your your investment in people. Your investment for most companies is thirty to fifty percent of the revenue goes out the door in salaries, benefits, bonuses, cars, perquisites, and you don't know if you're getting anything for it. And that's where we spend a lot of our time. Yeah, I, I love the part you said about how sometimes HR by turning their back in a situation is really endorsing it. I, in the past few days of this week, I have had numerous conversations with people and the environments that they're in, their management is absolutely toxic and HR is turning their back on it because from the employee's perspective, HR is there to protect and defend the organization. However, it's supposed to be the entire organization, not just the C-suite and upper management. It's from the CEO down to the janitor and every point in between. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's correct. And what you brought up on the C-suite is, is pretty important in the HR world that sometime when those C-suite folks or the VPs or SVPs, sometimes they do something, they're not thinking about it. And that that may be a bad behavior. When you have a bad behavior, it lowers the value of the organization. But HR is afraid to say something because they're the CEO. And what I found is that most CEOs, when you stop them, say, this is a bad behavior or this didn't go as well, they appreciate it. And I, I, remember, I remember reflecting way back uh, when I was at Advanced Auto Parts more than 10 years ago, where the, the CEO said something, an employee raised her hand and I don't remember the question, but it was pointed and everybody's went quiet. Like you hear a pin drop and then the CEO said, thank you for asking that question. Let me answer it. And he shook her hand afterwards and thanked her for having the courage to ask the question. Yeah, that's, that's a demonstration of, of strong leadership because again, when 
your organization is running well and employees feel safe to be able to speak up uh, when there's a concern, but also know that they are supported by the management and they're getting the right direction and human resources is there to help them guide them through whatever life challenges happen and everyone has experienced life challenges. I know I have. And, and when those organizations can work alongside you to help you navigate through those things, because they tend to be for most cases, a short term type of situation uh, where it's not going to be this forever and ever type of uh, event. You know, I, for example, I know some organizations um, just because of the divorce rate being as high as it is that, you know, they'll allow their employees to work a modified schedule for a period of time as they navigate through, you know, the, all the legal meetings and whatnot. Uh, because, you know, as with you know, many industries, you know, a lot of those attorneys, you work, you know, nine to five type of shifts. Mm -hmm. And if you work nine to five, well, do the math. You, you need three hours to go over some things with your attorney. So you're taking time off or you're trying to get time off and it, that's adding stress and all of a sudden that employee's performance is going to drop a little bit because they're stressed out about a, a life situation. Mm -hmm. But the organization, you know, the few of them anyway that I've known have done this, you know, were understanding of it and they said, okay, let's adjust your schedule. Let's have you work four days a week, uh, maybe 10 hours a day or something like that to work it up or even if they weren't able to do that, it's like, okay, we're, you know, for a temporary period of time, we're going to say you're going to work four and a half days a week. Now we're going to have to lower your pay a little bit um, for a period of time, but you'll always have that half day off every day of the week. So you can deal with this. And what happened was it just made things easier for that employee. They were able to navigate through it, get all their meetings done. And then when everything was tidied up, then they returned back to their, their full-time hours and the organization kept an employee that was good. Their performance did not drop dramatically because they knew, okay, Thursday afternoon, I can deal with this. And then they're not trying to deal with mm -hmm. something during the week. And it's just one, you know, one of those many examples that I see you know, organizations that understand that we have lives outside of our office cubicles. Mm -hmm. And those are the organizations that tend to have lower turnover, uh, higher ratings and the products and services that those organizations provide to their clients and customers tends to be better because happy employees perform better and the products and services uh, reflect that. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with that. It's not, you brought up the divorce, but I, I see that once in a while. I see more family needs, sick parents, sick spouse, sick kids. And the way that business right now is adjusting to that, uh, they're, they're finally learning uh, that, people have laptops and they can work from anywhere. And the, the coming to the office nine to five is, is slowly disappearing. I, I, I've had some clients who have a, a policy where you cannot work from home, but then I joke with them all the time that you have a work from home policy. It's anytime after five, so they take the work home with them. Exactly. I see, and I, I see where the, now these companies are loosening up a little bit. You really have to adjust for, for that employee because you know, they, they may work for you, but, they do have a life and their life does impact your bottom line, especially if you ignore it. Yeah. And there's a lot of organizations you know, where I'm based out of uh, Toronto where office space is getting to be harder to find because of mm -hmm. all of the construction of condos and all the people that are moving into 
the downtown core of the city and even in the surrounding areas, there's no new office space being built. Everything, there are some buildings that have office space that are actually mm -hmm. being torn down and being replaced with condominiums. And yep. even in the, in the case where, you know, the office uh, that I work out of, uh, there's in this particular area, there's less than 1% vacancy. And the market rate for the rents has increased $6 a square foot in the last three months. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane what uh, the rates are going and they're getting it because people need a space. So those organizations that are looking at virtualization and allowing their employees to work from home, there is cost savings in that. Now, of course, there's other dynamics too. It's like, you know, making sure that your team can stay engaged with each other because sometimes working remotely all the time, um, you know, you mm -hmm. have to force yourself to actually go out and see human beings. <laughs> and, and if you're sitting on your couch all the time working on the laptop, it's like, no, sometimes maybe go to a shared office space or, you know, a coffee shop or something like that, just to mm -hmm. mix it up a little bit. And that's a recommendation that I have for people that work remotely all the time, whether they're entrepreneurs or their employer has sure. them do that. And that's what we do at HR Sanity. We have an office in South Lake, Texas that everybody can meet at. But most people who work from home or from a coffee shop or they're comfortable. I, I prefer people to work where they're going to add the most value. And sitting in a room with other coworkers sometimes is just not that uh, exciting for them. They want movement around them and noise and music and coffee. And, and they just work better in those environments. So who am I to tell them they can't work there? Exactly. You're getting the, the product done. And, and you know one of my favorite bosses that I ever had, Rick Elert. I don't know if Rick listens to my show. If you do, hi, Rick. If anybody knows Rick, <laughs> tell him I said hello. First day working for the organization that I worked with him with, he, he came up to my cubicle. It was around 3.30. So I got there a little after 8. So it was later towards the end of the day. And, and he said, look, I don't care when you get here. I don't care when you go home. I don't care when you go to lunch or, quite frankly, how long of a lunch you take. As long as you get your work done, everything's good. Mm -hmm. And that told me right there that he trusted me to be an adult and get my work done. And of course I did. And, and there was a startup organization at the time and now they're a global international company. And it's one of those things where that there on my first day, you know, set the tone for, you know, the, I was there almost three years and that was during the dot-com era when, you know, you'd get a job and, you know, the recruiter would call you about 10 minutes after they placed you and say, well, I've got five more jobs for you to work for. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I don't have that much capacity. I'd love the paychecks, <laughs> but yeah. um, sleeping is kind of required. Yeah. But no, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, you see that, you know, there's organizations out there. And I know a lot of people I talk to that are going through tough times. I, I, I tell them, I said, there's organizations out there that treat their employees very well and they put out an amazing product and service mm -hmm. and you just have to do some homework and, and figure out where those organizations are and and hopefully there's an opening there and you can get in uh, because yeah. we're, we're seeing a lot of organizations right now that aren't behaving that way and I'd be curious to you know get your insight on that because obviously you go in and help organizations why do you think that is you know why are these organizations have um, toxic environments? What are some of the things you're seeing that's uh, creating this type of scenario? I think that we, we already touched on, on the main reason is that toxic environments generally start from the top down 
that maybe the CEO is a maniac or crazy. Yeah, you, know, you you read about these people every so often in the, in the Wall Street Journal, but then everybody emulates that behavior. When they emulate it, then everybody's endorsing that bad behavior. And it's easy to go onto Glassdoor and go look at the ratings of bad companies. And when you look at a really bad company, it has like a, a 2.3 rating, which is well below the average. And then you see all the five stars. You, you need to delete those five stars because the management asked people to put those in there. They 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 make this, and that's what they want. I I, I have a coach who, you know, we, we used to joke a little bit about a guy that we knew who was always on a diet, but he'd always eat a full piece of whole pizza, like eight big slices. And the thing was, he's not on a diet. He says he, he's. They say they want a good culture. He says he wants to lose weight, but the behaviors and the way that people are acting is not really going to that going down the path of, of where they say they want to be i think they, they just get comfortable they made some money they enjoyed some good times by beating down on people and they, they just don't care um that's really why you have these toxic places and then and i, I jumped to another topic on the toxic place is expensive to be toxic because you have so much turnover you have to pay people more and when people turn over you pay more recruiting fees and you pay more uh relocation it's just such a, a bad thing to have. You're, you're losing so much money by being toxic. And also too, with the, and I, I definitely, I'm going to, I'm going to qualify this real quick. I don't know when the next economic recession will happen, but if anybody paid any attention in econ class in college and university, they come back. We will have another recession. You can, you can all but guarantee it. When, who knows? I have an idea, but um, I'm not going to say when I think it will happen. But at the end of the day, when organizations start going through you know, an economic downturn, those organizations that are spending way too much money on replacing staff over and over again, somebody is going to pay attention to those numbers eventually and go, what's going on here? Why are we you know, looking like a a uh, major fast food restaurant that has a lot of turnover because they hire teenagers and it's, you know, mm-hmm. that's their first job and all that. And they go through a lot. I remember working uh, a CPA firm decades ago and an adjacent office was uh, an owner of uh, five different McDonald's and W2 time came out and they just printed like hundreds of W2s. I'm like, how many people do you normally have in your stores? And, you know, he said, usually for the five stores are out, you know, maybe 25 or 30. I said, mm-hmm. why are you printing a thousand W-2s? It's like, if they work an hour, I have to pay them and they get a yep. W-2. And it's just constant turnover in that type of environment. But we expect it there. But in offices and large corporations and small corporations, when you have that constant turnover, there's there's a loss of flow and everybody else has to pick things up and the people that stick around get disgruntled and they don't go above and beyond. They're just mm-hmm. you know, mailing it in basically and showing up and doing the bare minimum yeah. uh, just to keep under the radar. So it's not making your product or service any better. So the long story short, what ends up happening is those types of organizations are the ones that are going to struggle during any type of economic downturn. And the ones that take care of their employees have a better chance of being able to withstand any type of downturn just because they'll be able to pivot and, and have the team buy-in to be able to adjust mm-hmm. things as they go along. 
Yeah, I think there's a, a term for it. I may be incorrect, but I believe, at least I've been taught that it's called survivor mentality. That if you survive a layoff, your motivation is low. But if you're also surviving a bad culture, your, your own, only motivation is uh, not to get hassled and to keep your job. So you do as little as possible to stick around. <clears throat> yeah, and I see that a lot too, where, you know, good people that used to be really driven and had all types of initiatives. And, you know, it's just like anything else. You stick your hand in the cookie jar and it gets smacked a few times. Well, unlike me, you'll, you'll stop you know, going into the cookie jar. I, I continue to do it. I just figured out different ways to get to it. But most people will say, you know, I'm tired of getting my hands smacked, so yeah. I'm not going to bother doing it. I'm just going to go about my business, fly under the radar, let the toxicity of the management yeah. you know, implement everybody else. And, and quite frankly, that's no way to spend eight or nine hours a day, five days yeah. a week. It's just, it's, it doesn't have to be that way. And I, again, I see it time and time again, and it's annoying because I know that these organizations could do better. And quite frankly, as a consumer of products and services, it makes me wonder what better products and services we could have if those environments weren't toxic. And I fully agree with everything you're saying. I think just to spin it a little bit is the, the, uh, Toxic environments want the best from their employees, but they're not willing to give the best to their employees. Yeah. And that could be one of the ways that they could just start to fix some of the issues that they're having. Yeah. And, and be creative. And uh, here's a spoiler alert. Ask the employees what they want. You know, yeah. I know that, that's, that's a strange concept. That's a strange one. It's, it's actually kind of funny you mentioned that. So uh, um, when I was early in management, one of my mentors Ask me, what are five ways I like to be recognized? And I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. I, you know, I like to read books. I like to go to Starbucks or I, I like to, I like a day off from work would be nice. And uh, I've kind of held that with me for a long time. And every time I have a team, and right now I have a, a decent sized team, I, I know their top five. But then when I go to other organizations to work on some of their HR issues, generally on the data side, but I, I bring it up and it's like, how do you recognize your your employees here? And they say, oh, we have pizza parties. We have this, this, and this. And then I said, did you ask them if they like that? And they always say no. <laughs> and it's amazing on how many times people come up with these great ways to recognize their employees with ways that the employee doesn't care about. If you have a, a vegetarian employee, you don't want to give them a box of Omaha steaks. But that seems like what leadership is doing these days they're just afraid to talk to the employees and have those honest conversations. And this is like a really good honest conversation to have. Well, I agree. And I've seen organizations and I'm familiar with uh, a couple of them that would be described as a toxic environment. And every once in a while, they will do the pizza lunch thing to show how they appreciate, you know, their team. And of course, everybody puts on the happy face and is thankful for the, you know, five ninety nine pizza uh, that they brought in, mm-hmm. and and management expects well everybody will start quote unquote behaving, and like no they're disgruntled because you're treating them like crap. Oh, that's yeah. that's why they're misbehaving. If you yep. treated them with respect and did everything you could, you would never have to have another pizza lunch again, because a lot of times what people want isn't necessarily more money or even more vacation time. 
They, they want to be acknowledged. They want to be encouraged. You, you hand somebody a book. You say, here, you know, here's a book for you that I think would be beneficial for you based on whatever that employee is going through, for example, or something that they enjoy. You know, it's, it's, it's a small token. You know, there's no, no strings attached with it. It's just you know, being a thoughtful leader or lead thoughtful organization. And again, you know, knowing, knowing those things that your employees like, it goes a long way. Um, and then you have situations like I did where, you know, I mentioned Rick earlier, that was in 2000. Okay. It's 2019. You're still that's holding almost, on to it. That's good stuff. That's, that's almost 20 years ago. Um, yeah, that's, but, that's awesome. But it's a foundation. I, so what, when I, I said the company should provide their best, I also think managers provide the best. So with, with my teams over more than a decade, every year I would have at least one dinner at my house and the dinner would for new employees that came in that know what's going on. I would have filet mignon, lobster and all these great meats. And then everybody would bring a dish to pass. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's really expensive stuff. But when you look at it, an eight ounce filet, if you buy it at the store is about 12 bucks. A lobster tail is about six bucks and almost $20 per person. Add in some other things. I've now got a $25 dinner per employee, let's say I have five employees, that's 125 bucks. If I don't go to Starbucks once a week for most of the year and save that $5, there's no reason I can't buy this for them and then give them that top level experience. I expect the best from them. So when they come to my house, they get the best from me. And that seems to have gone a long way because the, the dinners, my employees from years ago still talk about them and I still do them today. Uh, we go, we, we've upped it a little bit to uh, bison to the whole dollar more a pound. <laughs> but it's, uh, I mean, just thinking about it, how are you gonna recognize reward and, and make it meaningful? Pizza lunch is not meaningful. Pizza to me says, I just don't care. I want to go cheap. Inviting somebody to your house in your own dining room or kitchen and having community together to them says that I care about you and I care what you've done and you've done great things for us. Let me do something great for you. No, I agree. And you know, a follow-up question is, uh, when is your party? I'll, I'll hop on a plane. You're welcome to come. I, <laughs> the, the funny, whenever I have a guest uh, or clients and we, we go out to lunch or dinner, we, we do not go to McDonald's or anywhere of, of that level. Cause I was thinking you know, I've got to take care of them too. They've, they've made their, their way out here. So uh, maybe if you want to come to Dallas, I recommend a, a lot of great places. I'm actually right now at a place called The Network, and it's a it's a little social club. They have the greatest food, and I bring my clients here all the time. I'm sitting in a conference room at a restaurant. Uh, that, that's what I want. I want my clients to remember that we went, we had a great meal, and had a great discussion. Let's move on and have some great business together. Exactly. No, no, thank you for the invite. And yeah, that's, it's, it's those subtle, subtle differences that you think about and it resonates with people. At first, you, of course, you're aware of the impact that, that it does, but oftentimes as leaders, we don't necessarily know how positively we impact somebody until you see them years later or, somebody mentions something and they, you know, they're thankful that you were their boss and how you impacted them and all of that. And it's, it's, it, it take, I'll be honest with you. Now maybe it's just me. It takes less effort 
to be giving and supportive than it is to be a jerk. I, it's, I, it, it may be in my DNA, but it's just easier to say, yeah, take the afternoon off or, you know, it's dead here on a Friday afternoon. It's like, go ahead and go home. You got everything done. Go. Well, if yeah. not, if not, work on it Monday. There's nothing on fire, knock on wood. So go. It's- no, I, I agree. I, I think with, with managers and leaders, one of the best ways to gauge how somebody was as a leader, and I do this one when I've, I've helped out recruiting, is always, I'm like, what does somebody's background look like? And you really can't tell on the resume. But if they're a manager of compensation at, let's say, Home Depot, and they had four direct reports, and you can figure out who the direct reports are, let's say, where did those careers go? Did that leader help that person progress? Are those analysts now directors and VPs and head of HR? I mean, a good a good example, if Rich Johnson, since you put out a call out, is, is out there, you probably can listen to this. Um, Rich is, uh, I think he's close to retired. Um, he spends all his time on a golf course now. But uh, Rich Johnson was a director of compensation at Home Depot when I worked there. And he, he really was concerned about the development of his team. And it seems like almost everybody out of that shop has either become a CHO, chief HR officer, or has uh, run their own total rewards department, running compensation benefits for multi-billion dollar companies. And, and we always joke that it was the water at Home Depot, but no, it was really Rich's leadership that got us together got us to think differently and to teach us how to become better managers. And here's a quick funny thing is a gentleman named Kevin Wiederhold was a compensation manager at Home Depot. He ended up being the chief HR officer at a company called Floors and Decor. And then he hired Rich in to be his director of compensation. <laughs> Little swap of roles. It's funny how that goes and, and the ripple effect. I mean, it's like, you know, basically, you know, using kind of a biblical phrase, it's like almost like disciples. It's like, okay, here, I'm going to teach you this. And then those that were taught went out and mimicked those behaviors and leadership traits Mm -hmm. and impacted all the organizations that they've been in, which in turn will do that again and again and again. So you could have, you know, one, one leader, like you mentioned, that has the impact over, generations of organizations just because you know they took care of their employees the way that their employees wanted to be taken care of and and i think you see that today one of the biggest markets for the area markets one of the biggest examples i think love them or hate them is walmart i I was lucky that my first job out of college was at walmart stores and i spent some time in bentonville arkansas to see the leadership of of sam walton's disciples as you called them and now you have another guy, uh, Doug McMillan, who's running the shop, and he's he's just like Sam. But that company has been so successful because of the way that they've run their business and the way the uh, leader. Now, there's always bad leaders within a company that has 2 million employees, but you, know, you tend to hear about those. But if you go into a good Walmart, you can see some great leadership, and a lot of the values that Sam started the company with are still there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been in Walmart stores for, for decades. And yeah, you, there's going to be some good stores and there's going to be some stores that have some challenges. But you know, as an organization, you know, and I used to do some work in supply chain, you know, their, their supply chain and how they navigate things and get products to the number of stores that they have is downright amazing. And their performance you know, no matter what's going on in the economy, you know, they still plug things through. And if something comes up, an issue comes up, they're front and center and they address it. 
You know, mm -hmm. they don't they don't hide behind a curtain and say, oh, no, no, we're just going to hope this goes away. No, they, they're front yeah. and center and they address it. And, um, you know, and I've seen it's kind of funny, you know, like you'd mentioned love them or hate them. It's funny how, how people can be because for the longest time, you know, a lot of people did bash that organization and they were, you know, glowing about um, that organization that starts with an A and has a Z in their logo and a little arrow and a smiley face on their boxes and all that stuff. But I'm starting to see people <laughs> complain about that organization and start you know, paying more attention to what Walmart's doing. And it, it ebbs and flows. People's opinions are what they're going to be. But for me, I, I'm, I'm a big supporter of of both organizations, quite frankly, and uh, and I want both of them to do well because it means better products and services for me and for you know people and convenience and everything else. Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, I, I wish that uh, Sears and Kmart were doing better and that uh, J.C. Penney's was doing better because uh, ha having really strong competitors makes other companies better. And, and uh, it does worry me a little bit when those competitors go away because now who's who's Walmart and Amazon competing against? They need somebody to make them fearful so oh, that they keep up that, that great customer service. Of course. I mean, you and I are both of the age where we could say that Sears was originally the the Amazon that we have today. You could get everything. Oh, yeah get everything from Sears and you know, the wish book at the end of the year. I mean, believe me, I'm that by the end, by the end of the holidays, that thing was bent up as far as the toy section. You can ask my parents about that. So uh, that was, a, that was a dream come true when that thing came in because it was yeah. easy to do that. But um, yeah, no, it's, it, it's funny. And again, those are, you know, those are organizations that, you know, the ones that do well and the ones that don't, you know, there's, there's clues as to, you know, what led to, you know, the challenges and that they're facing or have faced. And it's, it's those organizations that have the right type of leadership that takes care of their employees, makes it a whole lot easier to navigate all the changes that need to be done. Mm -hmm. I agree. hundred percent. I've agreed so much and enjoyed so much of this conversation with you, Chris, where can people find out more about you and the awesome work that you're doing? Okay. Well, the uh, the website for my company is uh, hrsanity.com. Our phone number is really easy to remember. It's uh, 1-833-4-SANITY. And then uh, I just released a book at Barnes & Noble, or you can buy it online if you're interested. It's called The Sanity Game with the subtitle of Cut the Crap That Drives Employees Crazy, which is what we've talked about. You know, a lot of the stuff that we, we talked about is in my book. And there's a lot of stuff that you mentioned that I'm like, wow, I wish I put that in my book. Uh, so a great conversation. And that's, uh, can be found at thesanitygame.com. Or it's also on that that A with a Z, the, I'll say at amazon.com. Amazon's also selling it. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll have that information in the show notes and, you know, definitely uh, as, as somebody that's written more than one book, you can always write another book, you know, so. I know um, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to you, you releasing this so I can take the notes and it should be number two. There you go. Awesome. So Chris, thank you again so much for your time today. Great. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. 
If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get us a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.